Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch Kick Choke Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts, and tonight we have a host chat. We love these. It's so nice. We spend so much time chatting, but when we have our guests and we're coordinating the meetings, we don't tend to chat a ton with each other about these types of topics, and it's such a pleasure to do it on the air and with you. So we're going to jump right into a question. So Hachi Legacy, I'm going to start with you, then I'm going to go Sensei Suino, and then I'm going to go you, Sensei Dauphin. I'm competing this weekend, and so I actually just want to ask you, what is your best tournament, and what is your worst tournament you've ever competed in? You asking me that? I'm starting with you, Hachi. The best tournament I was ever in is when I fought Billy Hines and lost. Mm. That was a great fight, a good fight, and it was... He pulled a bit of a lazy one on me, and it wasn't much of a technique, but he did win, I admit it. Uh, that was my best, and I don't think I had a worse one. And I, lo I loved all the fights I had. Right on. Sensei Suino? Uh, my best tournament was my final All-Tokyo Iaido Championship in 1992, just because I was so dialed in. It was the thing I remember most about that. I was so dialed in that I went through my set of seven waza in front of, you know, 500 people. And I was paying more attention to like what people in the audience were doing and what the expression of the faces of the judges were and everything else. Like I was just so dialed in. It just felt amazing. It was transcendent. Um, you know, I won the gold medal, but that at that point, right, it was that, that wasn't the point. I don't know what to tell you. It was just such a wonderful tournament. And I got to go with Hanchi's answer on the worst. I've never had a worse tournament. Um, I've had bad days in the dojo, um, but I've always had great tournaments. Knock on wood, shit can go bad anytime, but so far, so good. <laughs> right on. I love that. Sensei Dauphin? Well, I'll start with the worst since Legacy was there. Um, the guy beat me fair and square, too. I don't want to I don't want to take anything away. His name is Dominic Petiglieri. Um, he beat me 5-3. Five, five, with the same roundhouse kick over and over again. And I don't know, I just wasn't really in my right headspace when I, I had fought before and I was irritated with the person that I was fighting and I intentionally tried to disqualify and they didn't disqualify me, which was really strange. <laughs> I've never seen a guy get hit so hard in a tournament in the head. Wow. In my life. In my life. <laughs> I, I punched that guy in the head so hard. Um, just so everybody knows his, his sensei, uh, Stiff Sense Legacy for a bunch of money, had us go down there and teach a, bunch, a seminar and then left Hunchy Legacy with a really big hotel bill. And then somehow karma played a, a role and I was fighting his student um, in the Canadian championships. <laughs> and, and I intentionally said to Sense Legacy, I'm going to disqualify against this guy. And if you don't know, that happens in tournaments. So you should keep your head up. Um, and they didn't, <laughs> you keep your... they didn't disqualify me and then but dominic beat me fair and square um but i was really irritated after that fight because i and he was having a bad day or yeah. a good day oh, yeah. um <laughs> but uh honestly my my best one my most memorable one was uh and this person beat me as many times as i beat him it was pete Daypuck, and he's a really good karate guy um and in the Matsumura challenge in the finals him and I squared off and he wouldn't I know him well enough to know he won't mind that I say I beat him five nothing 
and the room was like crazy like people were freaking out and and you know Pete to his credit even when he left he shook my hand and said coming back next year Randy I'm going to try and get a point on you right? <laughs> and I, I, I he is a great guy he's a great martial artist I never beat him in kata ever um but uh on that day I was dialed in like Sensuino said I won that I felt really proud because it was the home is the Matsumore Challenge, the home tournament. I was happy to be a black belt from Legacy Shuranaru, go into a big division, um, fight a guy in the finals that was a really capable, strong martial artist and win. I felt really good that day. I still have my trophy mm -hmm. from that day in a box from that from winning that. And in a, in a box? Yeah, well, I in that box where I keep all my certificates and all that kind of stuff, I have it in that box, in my special martial arts box. Um, that's it for me, Ben's. What, what about you? Because I, I can think of my favorite one that I saw you in. Well, right on. I'll go with my worst favorite first. And I haven't really talked about this much. It's not a huge deal, but I was a yellow belt and I was feeling really sharp. Class felt good when I'd spar with other yellow belts. And I was at the Matsumore Challenge. And I had just started weightlifting in my life. Like I'd never really weightlifted in high school. And then in first year, I started a bit, but by second year, I was working out like six days a week. And I had done an insane amount of straight leg deadlifts on like Thursday. And I didn't really understand 48 hour delayed onset muscle soreness. <laughs> and so I get to the tournament and I can't get, like, I can't throw a front kick above my waist. I'm in screaming agony. I did. So then the first guy I fought, we bow to each other out of the sensei and then they say fighting stances go and as i'm launching he goes to bow to me again so i kick him in the chest so i got the point and it was valid but you could feel the audience kind of go ah oh. and i kind of felt like oh like i didn't clock that he was doing the extra bow which he shouldn't have but anyways i ended up beating that guy but then the next guy I just couldn't move my legs. So I learned something pretty quick, which is like, you just can't do all of this and all of that and make it uh, your, your best Saturday. So it's just a really weak showing. And I was like, wow, I think I might've been able to win that. I got a silver that day. Well, um, you learned two things too. You learned, don't be an extra bower. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite tournament was this recent one and I didn't win. Um, and I just, I've never had a better fight in a tournament um, with Wilfred Stratton, Sensei Stratton. And, uh, you know, I've won that tournament before. And there was something about this that felt better. It felt deeper. The fight felt more um, layered. And I don't fight for Senseis to say nice things to me, but I was shocked. And I even had, you know, Sensei Copeland say, I've seen you win this tournament, but the way you fought today was different and your martial arts is getting better and all i'm here to do is get better uh not necessarily get a medal so that that was my favorite by far well if people don't know wilfred seratton that dude knows how to wait in the weeds in a in a karate tournament man you better get you better either get that first point in or not get hit because he knows how to he knows how to throw that counter punch yeah great fire yep. yeah on the lighters i'm sorry no on the lighter side, I once won Kata. <laughs> my 53 years, one time. That's all I'm going to say. The trophy's that big, right? 
just some little guy standing on a boat that high. <laughs> that was it. What I was going to say is for people who didn't see that fight at the Matsumura Challenge, it was like a seven minute match and it ended 5 4. And there were lots of exchanges where it could have gone one way or the other. And uh, so now that's uh, Sensei Benson and Sensei Seraton are one in one against each other because Sensei <laughs> Benson beat him to win the Matsumura Challenge and then lost to him. Yeah. Uh, and he won the Matsumore Challenge. So you guys got one more fight coming. I'm just Run calling. Back. Run one back. One more fight coming. Yeah. Back. It'll be like, uh, you know, uh, Rocky and Apollo, where we just kind of, you know, ding, ding. Yep. Yo, who, who won that? No, Randy, uh, that. Randy your, um, your inability to disqual get disqualified. Years ago, I went out to, um, I went out to uh, L.A. to a big martial arts seminar, and... I was with my buddy Don Pryor out there and we were, we, we went to all the festivities and then Saturday night, there was a big fancy dinner, formal dinner, everybody's dressed up and I was just in a shit eating mood. So we're standing there getting our vodka and tonics or whatever it is. And I look over at Don and I go, man, I'm just in a fucked up mood. I'm going to be as insulting to everybody as I can possibly be. <laughs> and I was just insulting people. Like I was just being so awful and I couldn't get anybody to get mad at me. They thought it was the funniest thing that they had ever heard. And by the end of the night, everybody was my friend. And I was like, God damn it. That went as badly as, as, it, as it, I couldn't get disqualified. Okay. Before we do introductions, you, you said you brought the topic up since the Yes, sir. I'm curious to know. I know what my favorite disqualification is <laughs> all time. Sensei, do you have one? I know you must have been disqualified at some point. Do you have a favorite disqualification? You're talking to me? I was talking to Sensei Legacy. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's hear from him. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember if I ever been. No, I don't think I've ever been disqualified. All right. Ben, <laughs> Sorry. Do you, ever, do you remember any disqualifications? Look, I haven't been disqualified, but I lost a point. I, you and I were at a continuous point tournament. I think it was in Windsor, and I hit the guy in the ribs. And he like hit the ground and just crawled around on his hands and feet for two to three minutes gasping. I remember uh, he was looking for his mouthpiece because his mouthpiece came out of his mouth. Yeah. He was crawling and, around trying to find it. <laughs> yeah. So I we I lost a point for that one, but no disqualification. But I'm I'm pretty happy with that one. That wasn't a hard shot. It was just a really well-timed shot. And so I'm, I was pretty happy with how soft he got hit and how hard he went down. I think he hit him pretty hard, but that's nice you'll remember mine we were again Matsumore challenge and a new school came and i'm not going to mention the names but uh since legacy thanked them for coming and i was standing there and since i said oh i hope you guys will help with refereeing and the one guy you know him too census you know um he stood up really stiff and he went we're not here to help referee. We're here to win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, my blood started to boil when he said that. I started to get a little irritated. And then coincidentally, in the finals, I was fighting that person. And when you have a like unspoken language with your teacher, I remember looking out of the ring at Sense of Legacy and him just giving me a little bit of a nod and I knew it was good to go. And uh, 
So I made sure I got a couple points up on him. And then I baited him in one direction and I hit him with one of the best crescent kicks I've ever thrown. And he like cartwheeled out of the ring. And uh, former guest Bill Adams was the center referee, Sensei Adams. And <laughs> he goes, he goes, eventually the guy came in the ring and he looked at me and he went, that was a damn nice kick, Randy. You know what we're going to do to you now. <laughs> and said, I know, Sensei. And I was the red player and it was all red flags, all, all circling. <laughs> Um, but the best thing about that was that since legacy was happy that I, I stuck up for legacy Shroner on that day, which I always will. Don't be rude to us unless you can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> good rule in life. Um, good evening, everybody. This is punch kick choke chat. We always like to dive into a question. We're doing our host chat tonight. So we're going to do slightly longer intros. Not really, but you know, when we do this, it's always my pleasure to introduce sensei Nicholas Suino. Now, we we've talked so much about um the palmares you know he's an eighth degree black belt in muso jikiden ishin ryu iaido he's a sixth degree black belt in judo sixth degree black belt in jiu-jitsu but one of the things that i've never mentioned in all the time doing this is he's a third degree black belt in karate a first degree black belt in aikido and a first stand in kudo sensei i did a little extra work today looking you up because I, wow. I didn't want to say the same old stuff and I I knew you had done Kudo. I had no idea you were ranked in it, and I apologize for that. But when I was at Western University of Western Ontario in 1993, starting martial arts, there was only two Zen books in the library, and uh, one of them was the wonderful Zen and the Art of uh, Kudo. And um, I read that, you know, and I was fascinated by it because you've got this German guy who has no concept of the world he's entering at a time when we didn't talk about Zen, et cetera. And uh, I read that book voraciously because it was one of the only ones available, but you know, hi, nice to see you. And I'd love to know a little more about your Kudo. Oh, that's cool. You know, like that's what got me interested in Kudo was that same book. Mm -hmm. I probably read it three times before I went to Japan. And my goal to go to Japan was to study Kudo. I thought that's what I wanted to do forever. Um, um, and then my karate teacher at the time, Carl Scott, said, you know, you ought to you ought to um, go to Vegas and do some Iaido with this guy, Yamaguchi Sensei. And that changed my whole my whole path. Um, but I had already my, the momentum to, to do Kudo. So I found a dojo in Yokohama. It turned out one of the best instructors in Japan was the teacher there. And I took group Kudo classes for two and a half years. Um, I loved it and I hated it. Mm. It's the hardest martial art I have ever done because of the patience and the finesse. And, um, and I'll taste two more things about it. One is that after two and a half years, they said, oh, you should go test for your showdown. So I went to the, the test. There were like 300 people. And you go up one after another. And basically what I could figure out was if you hit the target once, they'd take you from uh, – uh, zero to showdown, and if you hit the target twice, they double promote you to Nidon. That is basically what I what I sussed out. I hit it once, I got my showdown, uh, and then I by that time was so frustrated that I quit. But right. um, my my primary memory of Kudo, you know, I'm a 28 year old dude. I'm working out all the time. I'm very fond of myself, stronger than shit. About the heaviest longbow you could buy when I was over there. All this other stuff. Um, and I'd walk in and there'd be these little 98-pound, beautiful Japanese women smelling like jasmine in their kimonos. And after five minutes of Kudo, my stuff was just all wrinkled and flopping around. I was sweating like a pig, stinking up the whole place. And at the end of an hour, they would be just as 
just as fragrant and beautiful and gentle as they were when they came in. They had the Zen down and all I was was pissed off. <laughs> so so when I got my show done, I'm like, OK, since it's creative profanity night on Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. Yeah, it's, well, this won't be creative, but I was just fucking done with it. And so I said, when I'm 85, I'll take up Kudo again. But right now I got other things to do. Okay, so fucking done is our first entry into Vanity Night. Um, that won't win. That's not that's a winner. I'm not going to get a high rank, but at least we've opened the we've opened the door a little. Um, I mean, I was just thinking Last Samurai, you know, when they're on the horses. And I mean, when I walk, like, so if we have the Last Samurai type of uh, getting attacked, you can be our Kudo guy at least a little. Well, I'll be I'll be wrinkled and smelly, but I'll be able to shoot the arrows. <laughs> right well, it's nice to see you, Sensei. Likewise. Over to you. Over to me. Who do I introduce? I can't even remember how we do this. Yeah. I'm going to introduce Sensei Randy Dauphin, uh, who I've known for well over 30 years. And um, one of the first memories I have of training with Sensei Dauphin was with Hanchi Legacy, uh, Michelle Legacy, Roger Helps, Sue Helps, and Randy Dauphin in a band shell in a park somewhere in freaking St. Thomas, I think, or London, um, practicing outside. And uh, uh, Randy, I don't know how old you were, but I, you were a lot younger than you are now. I can tell you that much. He's younger. Yes. <laughs> um, that's one of my first memories of training with you. And we trained in EIDL. And then, of course, subsequently, I had I saw you in many, many karate tournaments, um, along with a whole bunch of folks from, from uh, Legacy Shoranru. And um, over the years, we've trained together a lot. We've uh, become friends. You've coached me in karate a lot. I've taught you Iaido a whole lot. We've gone on some adventures together. And one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that you and I have started doing, started to do martial arts events. We've started to put together things like Iaido camp and the crucible, work together on them. And I think our cooperation in those two things has made us both better. And I'm looking forward to more. And I'm looking forward to talking about those events tonight as we go on. Thanks, Sensei. Yeah. I get to introduce Hanchi Legacy. And I'm going to say a couple of things about uh, everybody tonight. Um, I want to say about Sean Benson. He's a fifth end in karate. He's a really good BJJ person. He just got his stripe, uh, his first stripe purple belt in BJJ with a, in a really hard group of BJJ people. Not, not like a place where you just go and kind of show up and they just move you along based on time. And he's going to go this weekend. He's going to compete. Um, and I'm, I like that. Like, I like that he wants to still get in there and mix it up and test himself. I, we all should be doing that. So I want to say that about Sean tonight, that I'm really proud of him for his achievements in martial arts and that he's still willing to go out there and risk win, lose or draw and test himself. Uh, recently I was with Sensei Suino in Northern Karate Schools, uh, where he was invited to teach in the Ido seminar. I was really proud that he invited me along to help out and, it was really, really neat to see these. The Northern Karate School people are really good at learning. They're really good at paying attention and they're really good at learning things. I want to say that. Um, but there's no doubt about it. When Setsuino is teaching, he's really dynamic. He's super charismatic and people are paying attention because they don't have a choice not to. There's nothing better to be watching or paying attention to or looking. So they just, he can enthrall them with what he, he's doing and teaching. And this last weekend, I was away in British Columbia with Sense of Legacy. We were, um, we did 
the biggest BC karate camp that we've ever done. Almost 40 people. There were 16 ladies there. Sense Legacy graded two people to their fourth degree black belts. A couple of one person got a third dan, a couple second dans. Uh, Zephyrin got his showdown. Awesome, awesome kid. Really deserving of getting a showdown. What I want to say about Sense Legacy is that weekend for him was challenging, right? Like if you're a martial arts teacher, you know, when you go somewhere, everybody wants your attention. Like they all want their five minutes with you, their 30 seconds with you, and they'll take as much time as they possibly can get. If they can get like all of your attention for the entire thing, that's what they're going to go after. And since Lacey had some really serious personal things going on in his life, but I just was so blown away by like, he walks out, shows up on the floor, teaches the best, most dynamic classes you possibly, gives all this information, pours it out, puts all his personal stuff aside for the people who are there for him. Then like, once he spent it all, still goes out to dinner, still talks to people, still tries to make those connections, then goes back and deals with his own personal shit that nobody knows about that's going on. And then the next morning gets up at 6.30 in the morning, goes and teaches his class again for two hours, goes and has breakfast or a private meeting with some student from British Columbia. And it's a lesson for all of us that, you know, we're in demand. It's a service that we're providing. We need to provide that service. And I was really proud of my teacher, really happy to be able to support him and watch him do his thing. And I learned a ton over the last four days. I learned so much by just watching him and what he's doing. And I'm really grateful that I'm a student and he's my teacher and I'm really proud. And so that's my introduction tonight for Sensei Legacy. What do you want to say, Sensei? You got anything to say? <laughs> Remember, it's creative profanity night. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> Is that good? We're, just, like. we're all walking through the door. I don't think we're there yet, but we're all walking through the door. Um, French sense like so you can you can Ooh, do creative, creative profanity. profanity. Pardon me. You can do it in French. You can do creative profanity in French. No, I I don't swear. <laughs> Um, good evening, everybody. So, by the way, whenever we do our host chat, we have one sort of special feature for the people watching on YouTube and the people listening on the podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hit that subscribe, hit the like, share with your friends when you when you love a thought or a moment and, and, and spread that out. We appreciate it. But for those of you here tonight who've signed in, when you ask your questions tonight, there's a chat button at the bottom that's going to light up. When you ask your questions tonight, we're going to assume you want to be on video asking the question with us. If you don't let us know, but if you don't say that, uh, we're going to put you on the camera because we love seeing who we're chatting with and we have that a little more breath with it all and, and we want you to be a part of it that way. So in the bottom is the chat button and you can uh, let us know what your questions are and we'll put the camera on you and we'll make you part of the conversation that way. Um, other than that, it's creative profanity night. We'll see. We'll see what the 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 bleeding Kunti charm comes out. I have no idea why I just said that. Sensei Nofa, I know you got some stuff you want to bring up. Get into. Uh, I just want to talk. Like for me personally, twenty twenty three has been like just a crazy martial arts year. Like a really good martial arts year. And I'm gonna say twenty twenty three started in November last year at Capital Conquest and the 
uh, Canadian Blackfoot Hall of Fame. And I just, I think it's, we'd be remiss not to go through some of the events that we've done and some of the teaching assignments and just share some thoughts, uh, you know, start, stop, uh, continue type of conversation. And I guess um, one thing to talk about first would be Kambushi, right? I'd love to talk about Kambushi, which is a martial arts camp that we always do second week of July for like, I don't know, 40 years. I, I've been going to it. I'm almost not a quitter there. I'm approaching 30 years uh -huh. at Kambushi. Um, <laughs> and it was a small group, but it was an awesome group this year. And uh, Sensei, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And I know Sensei, you know, you've gone to it. Sean, you've gone to it before. So maybe we could just talk about some of our thoughts about it. But from this year, one of the things I really enjoyed seeing was Sean Pleurd and Sydney Dauphin, who both went there from the time they were little tiny kids, come to that camp and stay there from morning until night, help the kids that were crying, take kids to the pool, get them to clean their tents. And it just was really cool to see a next generation of people that value it as much as we do doing that stuff. And we had everybody from like a five-year-old kid that we thought, did his parents like drop him off here and then leave? They think they've abandoned him here <laughs> to like, you know, older kids who are there. But it was a great camp and we did fighting twice a day, every day. Nobody sniveled, nobody whined. It poured rain. We still fought, did our training. Um, we had campfires every night. I loved it. I was, I felt weird going into it as we were coming up to it. I was like, is this until I started dragging my camp shit out. And then when I put my camp shit in the garage, I instantly became so excited to get back to Camp Bushi, set my tent up. And I can't wait for next year. I'm already looking forward to the second week of July. And I hope we can make it even bigger and better. And preceding that, we did a white crane training event for two or three days, which is also very well received. Um, he's on the call. Sensei Knispel came to that event um, in his 199-pound frame. He, he showed up to camp. <laughs> um, um, anyway, Sensei, how about I just, since Legacy, I shoot it to you for your thoughts on this camp, why it's important, what you liked about it. Don't say pushing the heavy bag into anybody's head. <laughs> <laughs> well, the camp started uh, in the early 70s. Uh, <clears throat> Roger helps and those guys. Uh, I think it's good because um, a couple of different reasons, you know, like they get to live karate. They're outdoors. They're it helps them mature a little bit. A lot of the younger people who go away for the first time, when they go back, they're never the same again. It's like I said about Sensei uh, Sweeno's event. Um, the door shuts behind them. They, they never go back to being what they were before. So I find that, that that's really useful for the young people to understand, to become independent and take care of themselves. That uh, who to, they learn who to trust because there's a lot of different types of persons who come to our game. And uh, the other thing is that they get, I, I give it to both the parents and, and the children. I say, listen, you, you get rid of your parents for a week. You get, you get to stay here and you're on your own. 
of course, I'm your dad for the week, but, you know, just getting away from their parents, learning how to mature a little bit. And then I say, turn to their parents and say, well, you don't have the kids for a week. You can go on that holiday that you, um, that you desperately need from, from the kids, not really to get away from them, but, you know, I had four kids and seven grandchildren and a great, and a great grandson. And sometimes it's nice to be away. <laughs> just on your own <laughs> let your brain go back to normal uh just a good time i'd like to invite everybody else out there who's interested in going to that because we, we cover both junior and seniors you know what i mean we don't we don't put uh seven eight nine year old kids let's say uh uh like sensei can Game and I asked him if he thought it was worthwhile, and he said, You know, I learned a lot, I really liked it. So I was happy with that. I like Sensei too that uh, I get to spend a week with you every day. We get to be together for a week, and other instructors come out since the Kettleburgers out there for a week. A lot of laughs, a lot of good times out there. A lot, some of the funniest moments of my life. Happen like laying on the ground, like screaming, laughing, like not being able to control yourself. But, um, and so the kids, uh, so this year, same as always, we had a kid cry on Monday or sorry, Sunday night, wanted to go home, you know, put him on your lap, talk to him. He can't go home. Monday night, didn't cry for 15 minutes, cried for five minutes. Tuesday night, didn't cry at all. Wednesday, parents night, parents come and they say, we'll come and pick you up on Saturday. And he says, no, I just mm -hmm. want to stay here. It's okay. I just want to stay. It's all good. I, I don't want to go home. Right? So, um, since, you know, you've been to Camp Bushi and you've been to camps like that. I know you've come and taught Iido there. Do you have any memories of it or thoughts or value that you place on things like that? Oh, yeah. I have a lot of memories. Um, I remember your Rottweiler. <laughs> I remember a much younger Sydney Dauphin. Um, uh, I just think the environment is great. You know, in regular life, we show up to a karate class or a judo class for an hour, and then we, you know, put our street clothes back on and we go back, and that's good. It's a nice immersive thing, and we should all do it for our entire lives. But there's something about that sustained time spent in a martial arts environment with other martial artists. I think the the way your kids start, you know, the kid cries for 15 minutes the first night and doesn't want to leave by the fifth night. Um, I think there's a similar thing that happens with adults is you get to fall into that whole environment, the atmosphere, and just be around martial artists and think about that, soak up the values. It's not so different from what we do on this show, right? The idea that you're sitting in the back seat of a car and there's two ma masters in the front seat talking. It's like you're, 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 you're literally eating, sleeping, breathing martial arts for a week. And I think stuff sinks into you. That's a whole, you know, it's a whole different kind of thing. It gives you the culture of your group, and uh, it's wonderful. Everybody should do it. Benz, you've come lots. We've talked about voles, and yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is going to sound out of the gate like uh, maybe a negative, but it's it's the exact opposite, and it's almost where I thought you might go, Sensei Suino. When you go to class, you know, you rush in, get there five minutes before, train as hard as you can, get changed, go home. There's time at camp to get bored. And in that boredom emerges a next thing. 
where you make the joke or you're not sure. So you go make up a game or you go try your cot or the thing you're learning again. And I don't think there's enough time in life to get bored anymore and sitting around in those chairs and somebody's cooking the dinner and everybody else. And it's not necessarily boring, but you're just kind of like everything flattens out for a sec. And from that emerges actually some of the most memorable stuff, um, including like, All right, I'm going to go work out again. And like, you know, again, I, I think I might have made this up a little with you, Hanshi, but as I remember it, like even in your early days of training, you got to clean the gym and you got to stay there and you'd get bored and just work through your martial arts. And that's half the reason we get the benefit of you being so good. And I don't know, I, I think both on a social level and a whatever. And I mean, I went to summer camp that wasn't martial arts. And when you watch kids bored for 10 minutes and you don't give them something to do, they come up with something awesome to do every time. Um, so anyways, it's, it's a weird answer, but I, I really think that you're just there. You're just there. And it's beautiful. Amazing. Um, we got a question that came in, by the way, do we want to jump to that and then come back to you since it offend? Oh yeah. I don't need to definitely, because I was going to say that, uh, Mark Altamar put something in there. That's not actually a question. He said, creative profanity with a question mark. Mm. And they one of my most favorite and most versatile expressions is, and I'm not going to say what it is. If he okay. wants, to, if he wants to come on the camera and say what it is, we'll let him. But it's uh, his question. So, uh, Mark, why don't, you, why don't we have you on camera right now, and um, we'll leave it to you whether you want to enter the creative profanity contest. Um, so excited about your question. I think it's a great question. Oh, there he is. And back in front of the. Uh... Like Como, this is a phrase I heard a boss say 30 years ago, and I've I've never forgotten it. And I use it often. It's just it's it applies to many situations. It goes like this: "Fuck me to tears." <laughs> Fuck me to tears. That's a good expression. That's pretty good. Yeah, it works. Uh, Fuck me to tears. I don't know, Mark. It doesn't have the same ring to it when you're clean shaven. <laughs> have, what what is what has brought about this uh, sudden? Sudden change in your appearance. Sensei, um, you can't see it because it's a bad camera, but in the summertime, I take this down to a one. Mm. And then when it gets just long enough, uh, like to a two or three, I take it back down. But when the weather changes, you'll see the beard come back, like like Sensei Benson over there. I will, nice. I will get there. Nice. Right now, it's just I just trimmed it today, so that's why you can't see it. And I, I'll have you gentlemen know, and maybe you realize this already, that you're you have a you have a post-surgery, post-retirement, active judo player in the person of one Marcus J. Altamar the third. So this is no longer a gentleman we have to urge to come to the dojo because he's on right. his way back. I was there today, Sensei, and noon judo. And uh Sensei Jackson and ZT, who I see is on the call, and a couple of other um early students. And I told Sensei um, Jackson after the class, I said, that was fabulous because after such a long time away, going through the basics again, the very, you know, familiar stuff was very helpful. Very nice. Helpful. Nice. Yeah. He actually was, he actually showed up on a Tuesday night for our grappling session we do, which I don't think has ever happened before. So we're just blessed at JMAC to have a lot of the a lot of the old guard training this summer. Makes me very happy. And I, I look forward, Sensei Benson. I I've met uh, um, Sensei Dolphin 
but I have not met you. I, I hope to see you at the uh, Crucible. Well, I'll be there as long as I'm not shooting. Okay. I don't look forward to that. And yeah, I look forward to that too. Hanchi Legacy, uh, one of these days I will get up north, I think, and introduce myself to you as well. So okay. you got a great question for us. I did. Oh, I had a question. Is that up too? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just spitballing there, as they say. Um, I was just wondering if if any of you have ever been in a situation where you thought you might be killed or die. Kind of what that was like and how you get got in or out of it. I love this question. Let's start with you, Sensei. Or will you? Why don't you decide who we'll start with? That's your call, uh, Mark. Oh, uh, I would like to start with you. Okay. Um, fighting wise, no. I've been in some situations that were tense, that were edgy, that were real. Um, you know, I, one of them was even with Sensei Dauphin when middle of the day, we got the wrong directions to the wrong place. And we ended up in what you'd call a very um, dangerous neighborhood. And we Compton. had some starting to walk before us. Yeah, like we're in Compton. We're in South Central. Um I didn't think we were going to die. We just, you know, I was sort of clocking like, oh, that's isn't where we're supposed to be. And Sensei was like, Ben's drive, 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 <laughs> no turn the key, drive. But to be honest, when it comes to fighting stuff, I've talked about this on other shows. I tend to go to a real blank place and I don't tend to feel fear in that moment. Mm. Um, I'll just tell a two second story that I think is relevant. I was backpacking through Greece rented uh, scooters i was a, a martial artist at this point and uh i hit a dirt patch and the little small scooter wheel just skidded and i just saw myself careening over the edge of a cliff and a real cliff like hundreds of feet and i just i attribute martial arts to putting that foot down and firing all my weight back in the direction of the road and sort of bike zigzags whatever um is that true or not? I don't know. But when I got off the bike after and I took a breath, I was pretty happy I was a karate man. So <laughs> that's the closest I've come to dying and saved my life with what I believe are these types of reactions. Thank you. Uh, Sensei Suino? Or as we say in, in the United States, Suino Sensei? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if it's regretfully, but I have unfortunately a number of situations where I thought I might die. Um, and, and a lot of them were very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I say, and when I say stupid, I mean me. Um, one of them was in high school. I was, uh, I was in a car with three friends um, the guy driving, it was his dad's station wagon. You remember what station wagons were if you're an old guy like me. And um, and it was a Saturday night and we were drunk and we were driving around being crazy. And this this uh, uh, grown up gentleman in a um, like a vintage convertible Camaro was passing us. And I was in the back seat and I was singing some song because I was drunk and I stuck my head out and I continued to sing. And he took it as an insult. I don't know why. He thought I was calling him out. And he turned and looked at us as he passed and he pulled a pistol out and he pointed it at me. And my buddy saw that and put the 
accelerator down in the um in the uh, station wagon and we spent the next 30 minutes being chased by this guy and him trying to stop and corner us and get out with his pistol and finally he just made a mistake of getting over to the side in front of us getting out of his car and walking towards us and so my buddy had the presence of mind to drive right at him and the guy had to dive into his car and shut the door so he didn't get hit and that he still chased us after that but we got enough of a lead on him that we were able to get to somebody's house and uh uh, uh so it was, 30, it was 30 minutes it was 30 minutes of of thinking i was going to die i mean it's literally every you know every six or seven minutes this guy got in a position where he would get out of his car or point the pistol at us again and you know he never pulled the trigger so maybe he really didn't intend to shoot anybody but um you know when you're whatever i was 18 uh it was very exciting <laughs> um, and incredibly stupid and i if there's something i could I, I could take back about that night it would have been i just kept my yap shut kept the window rolled up and just kept easing by the guy <laughs> we're glad you made it uh, so am i thank you <laughs> you want to go to next so say dolphin or you could say dolphin so i'd say whatever you want I speak, I speak american and canadian um, <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sean Benson's talking about uh, his scooter adventure, but he also probably self-induced next to death a few times and sure. yeah. was able to save himself from that. And since Sweeno once opened a letter that wasn't intended for him, that um, you know brought him close to death. For me, Mark, I would say the same thing as. Uh, as Sensor Benson, most of my death scrapes have been on the back of a motorcycle where oh. yeah, people do stupid things. They, I remember once like sliding through an intersection sideways, looking at a person going, you are such a fucking idiot. Like as I'm like sliding past their car, right? Somehow martial arts has always kept me on the shiny side of things. Um, I think you're asking specifically, I've never had anybody point a gun at me. I've had some people jump out and try and beat me up. Um, that didn't work out good for them. I don't know if that was life or death, but I guess in retrospect, you always think about it after it could have, it could have been right. Like, I don't know when they're cut, you don't know if they have a knife or a gun or they know who you are and they're going to come to your house. But, uh, I never felt in any scrape like it was a life and death situation. Do, do you think back in our day when you got in fights, there was less, a, there was really less of a chance or a threat that someone's going to pull a knife or a gun than there is today? Do you think it's more? I think it common? depends on the crowd you were flying with, Mark. Like my, my family had a different kind of a background. And so it wasn't unusual for me to have to go visit my uncle's in different facilities where their view of the world was through bars. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I mean, generally speaking, I think in, in our day, there was still somewhat of a code when you got in a fight in high school, you know, you don't kick them in the nuts, you don't pull their hair, you don't scratch them, which is kind of weird today because now I wouldn't abide by any of that stuff. If you attack me, you're going to get kicked in the nuts and I'm going to scratch you and I'm going to pull your hair for sure. So anyway, back in the day, right? We, we used to, I used, I was just telling someone this recently, if you were pounding on somebody, you'd say, have you had enough? 
And if they said yes, the fight was over. <laughs> yeah. But so I don't know. In a fight, I don't think I life or death. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's your legacy. Um, I, I've been in a couple of scraps, but I really don't think that my life was ever threatened. You know, I don't know. I, I just don't know what to say about that. I was a biker at one time and there was a lot of bad things and things happening, but I'm here now. So I guess my life wasn't really endangered. I've been in a couple of scraps on the street. Um, I'm glad I'm a martial artist. I just did what I had to do and got away. That's all I really, I don't want to describe any. Hanchi, okay, you don't have to describe it, but did you get away through superior skills that rendered the situation inert, so to speak? Well, one time I fought four guys. I just had to knock one guy out. Everybody else, you know, just stopped. And then uh, I would say if I had three fights, I knocked guys out three times. <laughs> it's it's the martial arts it's just it's like what randy said you're you're very very calm while it's happening and when i got on my biker in my car to go home and i went and sat down at home then you start shaking a little bit the other thing too not Sorry. everybody gets in uh, deadly fights like those other guys on the call here but that was it for me. All right. Very well. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you. Time. Great question. Thanks, Mark. Also, Great thanks question. for the thanks for the drinks at the 17 year anniversary. I appreciate it. All right. I, I got you. I got you in September too. Okay. Take care. Um, so I want to put a, a, just a, a one more round the horn on that because I think there's something psychologically in our sort of mid late 20s there's an understanding that we can get a little more fearful like you don't at age 23 clock danger in the same way and then in our late 20s by 30 there's a more developed sense of risk and i think i want to ask just real quick like did you have a shift in your life where you did start to if not fear at least be conscious of risk more i'll start with you sensei dofan I mean, if you're talking in a conflict type of situation, still no. Right. Like I was just describing to Sense, you know, and I've talked to Sense Legacy about this, like two summers ago, a road rage situation where, you know, a fairly robust young man in his mid to late 20s jumped out and started to, we started to jaw at each other. Well, he was jawing. I wasn't doing much except for looking at him. And, uh, there was not one second in that confrontation where I felt afraid, not even one second. And there wasn't one second where I was thinking, oh man, I gotta, I'm a, this is a dangerous situation. I gotta get in my car and peel out of here. Actually, it was, you know, in the end, I just said to him, look, son, you and I both nothing, you know, nothing's gonna happen here. You should, you look like an idiot. You should just get in your car and drive away. And that's what he did, right? In retrospect, he could have had a pistol. He could have had a knife. 
He could have gotten his car and backed over me. I didn't contemplate any of those things right. when things were happening. I was just focused on him and whether he was going to actually move towards me or not. That was the extent of it. Right. And what about in life? I still drive motorcycles. Um, I just walked up to 10,600 feet with Sensus Serena through thunder and lightning on precarious cliffs where had we fallen off, you would have died for sure. Um, in a place where like, you know, if a helicopter comes to you, you're lucky. Um, I don't know. I want to live an adventurous life. I don't, mm -hmm. I guess I don't really contemplate all the dangers associated with the things that I like to do. I mean, it's dangerous, Sean. Like how many times could sense the legacy of like, turned me into a quadriplegic or um and not on and not intentionally right but i mean you're in Absolutely. there with another grown man who's throwing shots super fast and hard like that's part of the life that's part of the life that we live right is everybody on this call is a risk taker or you wouldn't find yourself sitting in the seat that you're in right now what about you sensei Sweeno? did you have an age or a time where you went i'm actually gonna pull back and I'm thinking more in life. Yeah. Uh, uh, my lovely wife has a great saying and uh, it always makes me laugh when she says it, you know, when we were younger, we used to think we were never going to die. Now we're sure we're going to fucking die and we want to put it off as long as possible. <laughs> um, I don't think it means I take less risk, but I think I'm out much more calculated about it. Right. Like all those stupid things that led me to you know, getting fist fights or have someone pull a pistol on me when I was young. I, I, I've cut way back. I'm not saying I don't do them anymore. I've cut way back. Um, uh, and I try to let other people take the, take the big risks. Um, but as Randy said, you know, I love, I love the controlled risk. I love the calculated risk, whether that means, you know, setting, setting foot in a, a on a, on a, on tatamis and, and doing some karate or judo with somebody or, or going up into the mountains, um, or, you know, going to a kayak on a whitewater river, all that shit is still great. I just think I do it in a little more intelligent way. Mm -hmm. Cause I know, cause I know I'm going to fucking die. Just put it off as long as I can. Right <laughs> what about you, Hanchi? Did you ever have an age where you said, let's pull back a little? Oh yes. Yeah. I really, uh, really early in my life, I realized I didn't want to do that. Like I was a patched outlaw, not the not the outlaws club, but I was an outlaw motorcycle. I was patched into a fairly well-known uh, club. And, you know, a lot of things happened there. And I was about 22. And that's, that's what I did. I left that. I was just looking for something to... Um, something to belong to and, you know uh, it, and I got into that and then I quit that and then I found karate it's basically the same brotherhood with different type of rules you know so uh, but I'd like to tell you another story that that was pretty funny where I missed out on the last time was one morning I was driving to work uh, I was the um, day guy at a school and uh, this city of St. Thomas truck was going down a one-way street and the guy, he pulled out a bit early in front of me, you know, and it's early in the morning and nobody's in a good mood that early in the morning. 
the guy was in front of me, so I never slowed down, but he's he speeded up fast enough for me not to. I, I mean, we were going like 30 or something. You know, so the guy, he just rolls his one down, and sticks his arm up in the air, gives me a finger. So I give him the finger back. Then he sticks his arm out and he gives me the pullovers. So I pull over halfway on the sidewalk, so one way street. He pulls over and he's enraged, right? He gets out, he slams his, his car door. I roll my one down to give him, he goes, Holy F, buddy, what are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> he, he was the father of one of my students. And he just stood there like in shock. Right? <laughs> he just turned around, got in his truck. Perfect. Uh, that's the kind of karate I learned. Yeah. Um, you know, y'all know I got sober at 32, so there's a big pullback on like literally driving downtown LA at night, two score drugs, guns, knives, pimps, all that shit. It was happening on the very regular basis. Um, but that's not even what I'm thinking about. Around age 40, it was actually when life started to get really good. Like I was out of debt, I was working, my career's back. And I realized how I'd squandered it the first round and I started to value it. You know, and you know the sense of offend. Like I'll tell you, I can't fight more regularly than I want to because the career's going well. And I don't think of that as a fear thing. I think of it as a just, I really like this life. And I have in the past been really cavalier about, yeah, it'll always be there. And when I learned that certain things go away uh, and you don't always, I've, nobody's owed the second chances I've been owed and I'm not sure I'll get third chances. So I start to go, cool. Um, of course, the sobriety is the underpinning of that, but there's a life I really like here. And if I don't muck up my face while I'm shooting the best TV show I've shot in years, yeah, I might have to sacrifice some of my favorite things to do, like sparring or rolling, but it's a really smart sacrifice. And that's something I wouldn't have done as much when I was younger. So for me, it was around 40 when I realized that this second chance I got was really good, better than the first round. And I started to value it, not with fear, but with maybe even a little reverence and gratitude. So I started to go, okay, I'm not going to fuck this up. That's why I never wanted to be an actor. Sean, I know I could have made it. I could have been in the big time, but it would have sidetracked you. It would have sidetracked my fighting career. So I was right. like, no, I can't, <laughs> cannot fight. So. Well, it does. It does. <laughs> you know, it's funny though, Sean. One thing I was thinking about, you know, like everybody knows I've been fighting this groin injury now for like, you know, I don't know, two, three months. I hurt myself. And uh my doctor, when my doctor was working on me. After like the third treatment, he said, are you going to fight or not? Like how it is right now? I said, I'm fighting for sure. Like I'm going to, I'm going to fight for sure. If this injury gets way worse, we'll deal with it after, but I'm going to fight for sure. So I don't know if that builds on what you said. Maybe I'm just too dumb to not, <laughs> to not back off when it's time to back off. You know, this this is sort of tangential, but I remember my brother who doesn't like to spend money on himself buying a nice mountain bike, like really nice. And I was like, where did this come from? You're so frugal. And he goes, it came from looking at dad, who's 95, but he hasn't done all the dynamic physical stuff since about 75. And he goes, so I realized that I was always planning that everything had to be available to me until I was 95, assuming we lived the same length. He goes, but I realized that 
with no negativity, there's a diminishment to the physical aspect after 75 with our dad. So I want to get all the physical stuff in between now and then. So I'm going to treat myself to the boat, treat myself to the bike. And I thought about that. I said, I'm going to do that with my knees. I literally said it to him. I was like, this shit costs me a little with my knees, but I want to do it. I want to keep training, keep rolling, keep kicking, keep torquing. And then we'll go mechanical or whatever if we have to. Right now we're in the opposite direction. We're stronger than ever. But uh, it was that kind of, so I actually, I'm with you, Sensei. Like, you know, I got to watch this for the moneymaker, but fucking tear that groin up, rebuild it. Everything's rebuildable. Says the youngest guy in the call. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm over 75 and you feel I don't care who you are. You're going to feel those effects. Life is not forever. That's the way we're made. So Nobody's getting out of this life alive. That's right. Sense, you know, where you want to go next? Uh, I would really like to talk about um, Capital Conquest coming up in November um, for a number of reasons, but there's one really special reason that I'd like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always cool to go there if you've never gone we could share some thoughts and memories about um, capital conquest for me it's a point of pride that it's the first big stage that I ever taught on with my teachers so I taught on that stage with sense of Suino. I taught on that stage with sense of legacy and I also taught on that stage independently which for me and there are people there from all over the globe um but one thing I want to say is that uh, this year you should definitely go to Capital Conquest. All those same people will be teaching. All those great people will be teaching. Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame is going to be very special this year. Um, there's a lot of good names going into the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame this year. Uh, one would be Peter Gelpin, really good martial artist, deserves to be in there. Uh, Hanchi Steve Uslis who's like a bedrock in Northern karate schools, really excited to, and happy for him. But I'm not more excited for anybody than Sensei Copeland, who's mm -hmm. been inducted into the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. And mm -hmm. I personally am going to be there um, clapping for him. And Sensei Legacy wrote letters. And, um, you know, it's not, the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame is not one of those ones where you just like, send in 50 bucks and then they put you in there no if you look at the canadian black belt hall of fame and who's in there it's really like elite martial artists and yeah i mean let's talk about capital conquest and how excited all of us are that sensei copeland is getting into the canadian black belt hall of fame and he's super irritated with me right now like, ah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's he's irritated he's gonna punch me in the eye when i see him next but <laughs> Uh, how about you, Ben? We'll start with you first. Well, you know, you talk a lot, like you talk about those early tournaments with Sensei Jocelyn or Sensei Burkowski, and then what effect that had on you as a young martial artist. And that was a Sensei Copeland for me. I mean, he's the first someone not from our club who I clocked, who I respected, who ran a ring. The second I became someone who was judging as a black belt, he I've worked a ring with him every single tournament I've worked. And the reason is because I, there's no ring in the Matsumura Challenge that feels as good to me as the one he's running. Um, I, that's no disrespect to any other ring, but for me and what I learned from him as a guy running that ring, the years I've watched him compete, um, 
but really it goes back to that thing, Sensei Dauphin, like when you and I first, when I first started being your student, you'd mentioned a lot of names and I didn't know who they were, but I always knew Sensei Copeland um, and you had a reverence. And I, I almost wish I could have had it for those people you were talking about that I didn't know, but I had it for Sensei Copeland. And now the reverence exists, but I'm proud to say that I consider him a friend and the reverence, most importantly, friend or not, is respect. Awesome. And by the way, he just put in the group chat for me, not in the eye, in the throat. He's going to punch me <laughs> in the throat. So. <laughs> <laughs> The only reason why I'm laughing is because I'm in Kitchener and he's in Windsor. So that's uh, the uh, uh, Sensei Sweeno, what do you want to say about Capital Conquest? Sensei Copeland going into the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. What do you got to say about that stuff? I have to say he's not mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't think of anybody who's more deserving of this honor. And I am so happy that I will be there to see this happen um uh watch when he takes that stage and listen to what he has to say um i haven't known uh since i coped him that long but uh i i consider it a huge honor to be a friend of his and somebody who has spent time in some of the same same venues as he has capital conquest is amazing in the sense that it is it also prop uh, it's the second biggest martial arts event i've had a, the honor to participate in the other one being in levy quebec uh uh in the spring and uh um it's incredible energy to be in that room with a thousand martial artists uh for a weekend and um one of my favorite memories is still that event horizon in the hotel lobby where if you walked in there you were going to see famous martial artists and probably get stopped by one or more of them and spend an hour talking to them and then you were lucky if you got a way to go you know take a leak in your room or get a drink or get to the restaurant because there were another there's another you know phalanx of of, of famous martial artists coming through it it's just a, it's just a ridiculous event and all tribute to Hanchitarian yeah. for being able to put something like this together I mean it's just a phenomenal event thanks Sister. since legacy you've known since Copeland longer than any of us you guys shared instructors you're both students under Richard Kim you're all same friends what do you you've been to capital conquest you've been to capital conquest with sense of copeland you are a member of the canadian black belt hall of fame um what what do you want to say about the event and sense of copeland going in there i just i you know with me it's not all that stuff he's an honest you know straightforward human being first time i ever uh, seen him perform benny allen and i was sitting and the bleachers at the world championships and uh, he was i was watching him fight he was like he was a great fighter and i looked at benny allen i said uh, who's this guy like what's going on there uh it was lucky for me we never ran into each other i never fought him that's what i'm trying to say i guess he's an excellent fighter and, um, a great gentleman martial artist like he don't he doesn't let anybody square around at his tournament he just tells everybody be quiet or he may say it in a different way but i just like him because he's a pure martial artist he not only uh lives by the rules but he, he upholds them so and like i said i'm a white him <laughs> <laughs> 
think he sent in a thing the other day uh when when we did the show in bc and you and i were on the same camera since legacy he said randy you look he sent me a message and said you look like a young gary legacy and wouldn't it be funny if I was sitting between you two because it would be a reverse Oreo cookie? <laughs> that's, that's what he said. Um, yeah. And, you know, another funny thing that uh, said, you know, said was when we did that May training camp and I had all the instructors in a room and I asked them to do an icebreaker. And I said, um, if you were a superhero, who would you be? And when we got to sense, you know, he said, I would be Sensei Copeland. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what he said. All right. Uh, yeah. Someday, someday there'll be a comic book with me as Sensei Copeland. I'll be the white Sensei Copeland or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Sensei Dofen, I just want to add one quick thing. I talked about Sensei Copeland, but I didn't talk about the Capital Conquest. You know, one of my favorite things about it is you're there with your crew you're there with your crest on you're there with your sensei but there's an autonomy about how you go through your day you know it's like we all go to a flea market together and then it's like great i'm gonna go look for pink floyd albums you're gonna go look for you know corvette posters but we're there together and there's something so cool about that because I, I again it's just go together and then do your thing and then regroup and go what did you learn today and Hanshi you've always said this and I shared it with my students the other day when we went down to Cambridge BJJ no one of us will learn as much as all of us no one of us is as smart as all of us no one of us is as strong as all of us and Sensei Dolphin you're the one who said don't come to my mat tell your students to go learn new things different things interesting things okay I came to your map but you get it <laughs> you know it's it's just a beautiful thing to have that chance to to be with the crew but branch out a little make new friends make new martial vibes um we have a great question here by the way who is it ZT ZT she's got to come on camera we're not asking her a question coming on camera if I don't get to see her we're not asking the question <laughs> Where are you at, ZT? You knew we were going to put you on camera. Don't mess around. Uh oh, it's the mysterious version of ZT tonight. Yeah, she's not in a martial arts uniform like I normally do. Oh, great question. What do you let, let's let's hear it and then um, you decide the order of who who answers. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I forgot what I said. Um, when you're giving, I have a question. Well, when you're giving tips to people who are newer to the art than you, how conscious should you be about like not like overloading them with too much information? Who do you want to have start um, that? Sensei Dauphin. Uh, ZT, I. I don't ever try and give more than two or three corrections. That's the maximum. Um, and preferably it's something like one correction because this is a process, right? Like there, as an instructor, you need to know that you're, when a person stands in front of you, they do a kata or they do fighting, you're gonna see a hundred different mistakes and you're not gonna be able to fix all of them on that night. And telling them all of those mistakes is not going to help them. It's actually gonna be uh, contrary to that. So 
I always try and, and again, I want to just say, this is something I learned from Sensei Legacy. He has an uncanny ability to finding the root cause of somebody's mistake. And what I mean by that is, you know, you go to do a low block and somebody will say, oh, you need to squeeze your hand a little harder, but that's actually not the problem with the low block. The, the problem was, you know, their base wasn't right. And if you're getting more specific, their back heel wasn't turned properly, so they couldn't use their hips. So where I'm coming to with the answer is, you know, one or two corrections and try and make them the most significant corrections, the root, the root problem corrections, not something that's, you know, hey, change your face, you're ugly, right? Like they can't, <laughs> they can't do anything about that, right? So that's not a good correction for them. So that's that's my answer. Not you. You're not ugly. You're beautiful. But you know you know what I meant. <laughs> Thank you, Bethan Sensei. Um, Sensei Suino. Yeah, well, I 100% agree with Randy that uh, uh, you can't give too many corrections. You should get to the heart of the matter. You should correct gently with a path toward excellence. Um, yeah, overloading people is crazy. Nobody needs to hear that. And you've probably heard me say this to J-Mac too. I don't think you need two people tripping the ear at the same time. Whoever the most senior person is, the most knowledgeable person in front of you, that's the person that should be giving you the advice and everybody else who's nearby should be standing, waiting, listening, absorbing that information. Um, uh, one, two, three at the most for somebody who can really soak up stuff well. Um, that's enough. Better to go light. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Sensei Benson. Um, this is this has been a really important journey for me. You know, I I like talking and I can over inform, um, and so I'm getting better at it as a teacher. But it's still a big path for me. So the way I like to think about it is, the answers are in the doing. So if my answer doesn't include something to be practiced, I probably want to think for a sec, like. What's something that can be done? And then the other thing, and this goes back to my learning with Hanchi Legacy and then with Sensei Dolphin is you're not owed as a student understanding it right away. It's impossible to understand the thing you're told immediately. It doesn't mean you can't be given the thing to practice because in the doing, the understanding will come. But the one thing that I used to do that I don't do anymore is if I clocked a student not getting the idea I might add too many different ways of explaining it instead of letting them sit with the uncertainty for a while. So now when I see a student not get it, but I know it's clear, I'll say, just keep practicing and not every idea will be gotten the first time you hear it. And uh, I like the idea of a penny dropping. Many penny drops happen a year later. It's not my job to make them happen the second I put it in the machine. Wow, that's awesome. Um, Sensei Hansi Legacy. Well, um, the way I look at I look at it is when a beginner comes in, there are only ten moves in karate anyway, so you you don't have that much to drive down your throat, their throats. So. <laughs> Just work on on those basics, and it's a very it's like being in grade one and you're gonna end up in university. Uh, you have a grade one person, you're gonna teach them grade one stuff and you're gonna do it slow. And um, 
a, sometimes a gifted teacher is one who realizes how much their student can understand or can comprehend at one time and you treat them all accordingly. So different people learn at different speeds and you, we as senseis or as servants have to be able to um, treat them in, at their own level. You know, like you're not gonna start them off without teaching them the basics, for instance, and start teaching them how to, that's gonna take you 10 years to do something like that. So just what they can understand. That's what, that's what I would say. Hey, hey ZT, one thing I want to drop in here that I've just started doing, say, in the last, I don't know, five or seven years um, is when I teach the group. As an instructor, there's often you teach and then there's this feeling of diving in there right away and starting to help people. And on Sensei Benson's penny dropping thing, when I teach the group and I say, go and do it, I go just stand under the showman for three or four minutes and I just stand there and watch everybody. And some people are struggling with it. Some people are getting it. Some people are doing it totally wrong, but I just sit there. And the reason why I do that is one, who do I need to go to and help the most? But two, if every time I teach, I go out and reteach everybody individually, then they don't pay attention to me when I'm actually teaching. Cause they're like, He's going to come out here anyway and show me how to do it. So I get to just sleep through this portion of the program. And now I don't do that. I just step back because I'm trying to train them to pay attention when I'm teaching. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Some of the kids in their kids' class, I like that too. You're helping to teach now, right? You're assisting a little bit now. Yeah, let's get to a little bit. So this is a great question for you to take away and think about those answers and how you're going to implement that for yourself. Really proud of you, ZT, that you're training so hard. You're a great person and you're training really hard at JMAC. I'm always happy every time I come there and see you. I hope every time I walk in the door, I always <laughs> see you there. I hope I always see you there. You will, definitely. Good. Thanks for the question. Nice to see you. Thank you. Bye. You know, um, Anji, like you said, your answer made me think about this idea that there's an incredible power in what we do. You know, you teach somebody a kata, as you said, right in first grade. 30 years later, they're still practicing that kata, and it could have completely changed how they train in their martial arts, or it could even have changed them as a person. It's just amazing that we give them these tools, right? Um, it's nice when you step back and you think about how powerful those moments of time are. Well, I think I've mentioned on the show, but I taught a guy in Los Angeles who got to, I don't know if he got to yellow belt or not, but when the fighting showed up, he said, I'm not here for bruises. And I said, well, you may or may not get them. And he goes, well, I don't want that. And so respectfully, I quit. And I said, respectfully, you're always welcome back. And thank you for being honest. And to this day, he calls me sensei because he loves what he learned. And he'll, I'll get a message once a year going, hey, I just want you to know I just did my kata on the beach. He knows two kata. 
he did want to be a fighter, but he respects and loves the time we spent together. And I really dig that guy for that. You know, not everybody does want this, but what they get, they still value. I, I would see I'm a bigger jerk than you. <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> you said, hey, I just did my cut on the beach. I would have said, were you careful? Did you get a bruise? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking <laughs> Yeah. It's creative profanity night, but I'm not going to be misogynistic. I would have said something different. So <laughs> <laughs> it's creative profanity night, not get ourselves canceled night. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know you had a few more items you wanted to touch on, Sensei. I think uh, we would be remiss not to talk about uh, the midnight edition of the Crucible and former Crucibles and um, what Crucible means and it's coming up it's on september 16 17 really coming up yeah and if you've never been to one the other thing that listen i'm excited about the event for sure but i'm also excited that census reno hasn't had a sip of alcohol in a year and on september 17th it's his birthday and he breaks his fast and i can't yeah. <laughs> I, I can't i'm gonna have like mimosas and beers and all kinds of stuff lined up and then i'm gonna pour them into his truck and drive them home <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, it will, we it'll be a start, shock. Yeah. We should start with you, Sensitino, about the Midnight Crucible and your brainchild. Why did you invent this event? What do you think people get from it? Why do you keep like making it worse? For, for <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Um, the JMAC Crucible, you know, I went to a lot of immersive personal development events and I saw how powerful they were. And I was already doing some stuff like this, but it just occurred to me that, you know, like Camp Bushi, um uh to be able to isolate people in a very specific environment with the same intentions for a long period of time has a shot at changing them more dramatically than a one-hour class or two-hour mm. class or a three-hour class and just the notion of training for 12 solid hours creates a level of expectation into people where they're going to be more open to learning right it's going to they're going to empty their cup um and so we did the first one, as I think I remember, like 11 or 12 years. 2011, I think, was the first one. And um, one I didn't, it's the only one I didn't. It's the only one you missed. It's the one where I stupidly also um, roasted a sheep the whole day or a lamb. and uh, But we ate like savages at the end of that crucible, I must say. 12-hour um, lockdown martial arts event where we start with striking. We move to uh, clinching. We move to uh, uh, takedowns and throws. And we end with grappling. Uh, there's lots of mindset work. There's lots of uh, the rhythm has been perfected over the years. The last one went by so fast. Nobody had even a, a moment of fatigue. Right. Um, uh, and and, you know, I would say, listen, you you cannot leave. You will not quit. Unless you are taken away in an ambulance and that's only happened once. Um, uh and nobody leaves unchanged. It's a transformative event. You make lifetime friends, and it has changed the trajectory of people's martial arts path, including one famous actor on the call, Sean Benson, who um, who was so inspired by the rolling we did at a Crucible many years ago that he decided to enroll in BJJ. Isn't that right, Sean? Well, that's 100% right. And, you know, we know that Sensei Dolphin does that now, and Sensei Shlomsky, and I've got students too. So it's very much changed the, the flavor of that part 
like a, we have a ground game in our club now for those who've engaged it. And that's from the crucible entirely. I want to add one more quick thing, though. And you and I have never talked about this since we know it's exactly what you said about the last one, the your scheduling organization, like 26 minutes, four minute break, this and that, like there was no big lolling lunch break. There was no big it's changed how I do my workouts because I do my workouts with a rest timer now. So I'll do my set, bang, 90 seconds. I take the 90 seconds because I need it, but I don't make it two minutes and I don't make it less because then I'm diminishing the weight. And if I want shorter sets, then I'll make that the new workout. So what I'm doing when I schedule my stuff is based around the feeling of the crucible where it's like, set it, here's your pause, take your pause, go. Great, do the work, now take your pause. It's it, that was such a beautiful event. I couldn't believe it was 12 hours when it was done. Six, I could have believed, but I was like, we're, we're actually almost done. This is, this is brilliant. Randy, what about you? How was this last crucible experience for you? They've all been great. Um, you know, I see things sometimes like, so for me, my goal is always to do as much as I humanly can do in that time. Like I, I like to not, it would be easy for me to just uh, be like, uh, cross my arms and be like, okay, I'm a student and I'm here to teach you these things and I'm gonna just back off for the rest of it and half-ass it. I don't like to do that. I like to go in there and like even the last one, I was ready to take a round off at the end. I was like, I was tired. Like, I'm like, okay, um, you know, there's no shame in taking one. And then you said, we got three more rounds to go. And then my mind just went, fuck you, wimp. Like, do the next three <laughs> rounds. Like, just get back, get your ass out there and get rolling, right? So I did it. Uh, for people who, I, you shouldn't be intimidated to come. Like, if you're, like, in a horrible physical condition, you should still come. If you have no experience throwing somebody, you should still come. If you don't know how to make a fist to throw a punch, you should still come because the one thing that's really cool is when you are looking around, everybody hits a spot of uncomfortability in the crucible where they're like, I don't feel really comfortable with what's going to happen next. But one of the really cool things is the people who do feel comfortable with that come and embrace you and they help you through that uncomfortability. They swoop in there. Like if it's like, you know, there's certain throws that I just don't feel super comfortable with. I feel afraid to do them to people. It's not to be thrown. It's to throw somebody. Cause I'm like, I'm afraid, like I'm going to drop this person on their head or something. And inevitably, you know, somebody like Mark Altamar or Dan Holland or somebody comes up and just says, no, no, you're going to throw me. Like you're going to do that throw. You're going to throw me. You're going to feel what it's like. And there's no room to not do it then. And so then you do it. And once you do it a couple of times, you're like, okay, now I can throw that lady over there. And then you hurt them. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. No, you don't, you don't really hurt them. But, but anyway, I just, uh, I like the supportive environment and how the people with the expertise help the people who don't have the expertise and how really you can pour yourself as deep into this as you want to, and you should pour yourself deep into it. Yeah. So.
since it's doing this one little thing I'd like to add, and it, it, it's what you said, Sensei Dofin, about fatigue. Like, if you're listening and you've never been too tired to throw in a punch and then throw in more punches because you have another 30 minutes to go. If you've never been, because when Sensei Suino sets the timer for the rolling, there, it's not three minutes on, one minute off. It's three minutes, timer next, timer next, timer next. And if you've never rolled so many rounds in a row that you can't roll again, and then you roll again, you learn things when your body says no, and you're like, I guess I'll do one more because no one's there to hurt you. And so it's like, okay, how does my hip fling this punch now then? Look at that. I know how to punch that much better without using my shoulders. And there's a, you know, you could be a really fit person who's not necessarily excellent at the martial art, but you can get away with seeming excellent to yourself as long as that shoulder muscle's working in a way that maybe it shouldn't. But when it gets taxed after hour four, after hour six, after hour eight, it's not just that you get revealed yourself. Martial arts gets revealed to you because technique's all you got. Benz, I, I forgot that I was the one who teed off the subject. So that's why there was that awkward pause there. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to... I know since Legacy, you've not done the Crucible before. Like you've not actually attended that event for various reasons outside of your control. Like I know, I know you would be totally capable of doing the Crucible. Um, but you know, when you hear us talk about this stuff, you also know enough about immersive training experiences, Camp Bushi and things. Like what benefits do you think people should go into these events, like thinking what they're going to get out of it, like when they leave? You're asking me that? Yeah, yeah, because you've done lots of types of seminars that were weekends long, and you've seen lots of people change through events training. Well, I think mainly that's what it is. It's something that, that you you really find out what you're made of. You know what I mean? How far you, I mean, where else have you done something like that? Like that's a heavy load and it's a heavy mental load as well. So you have to override your willingness to lie down so it makes you mentally strong as well and it's like i said before uh, when you go into that uh, the door closes behind you you never come out the same person you're always going to come out somebody who's uh, learned new limits um, more understanding but mainly i think it's uh, new limits uh, pushing your your bar more and more so you become more and more of a or excuse me become a better martial artist or a better human being and more confident in yourself the biggest fight we have in my opinion is having your mind trust your body you know people freeze like you get scared by a big person or something you just freeze that's because your mind doesn't trust your body you realize you didn't train hard enough to defend your entire being. So it doesn't trust it. It tries not, you start to cower, you start to back away and in the long run, you get hurt even more. So when you do stuff like this, you're making yourself a better person and a better martial artist all around. And when you open that door and you walk out, it feels so good that you've done it. I've done stuff like that, but not quite uh, to that extent. Yeah, you know, Sensei, the, when you're talking about 
the thing I think about is our black belt grading, like the legacy shirt on her black belt grading and how difficult it is. Like you mm. have to do katas, mm. you have to do your basics, you have to do it in front of a high ranking panel. And I remember when I did it, just being so nervous, like to go in and then, you know, you kind of get in it and you start doing it. And then you're, there's multiple times when you want to quit or you're hurt, you've hurt yourself or somebody's hurt you and you're totally ready for it. Like you, you put us in a position to be ready for it. But I remember like the next day coming to the dojo and you saying, okay, we're going to fight. And like putting your stuff on and you're like, you're going to fight him. Just that one person sense it. That's all yeah. I had. To do. <laughs> I just got to fight one fight. I don't got to fight 24 fights over an hour period. Yeah. Okay. I could do one fight. Like, yeah. so to the point of what we're talking about, you are totally changed forever when you put yourself in those types of situations. Yeah. That's just a simple example of, you know, if you want to be able to fight one person, good, fight 50 people bad for hours. And then, mm -hmm. It's going to be easier to fight one person well. <laughs> the other thing is that we, when when you're saying that, most people would look at one on one, but I make the black belts fight two people, and um, more than one time, and then I put about seven people out there. So it's like being in a in a melee, you know, a free for all, and you got to defend yourself against all those persons. You have to come up with something somehow because uh, most of the time you either get attacked by somebody who thinks they can beat you up or if they have a gang. Mm -hmm. You want you know, when it's not quite so bad, if you've been in fighting five or seven people at a time, you get used to it sort of and begin uh, start to learn how to manage it a little bit better. Thanks, Hanchi. Senseis, I want to say thanks to Mike Russell, Justin Shea, Andre Sedeshev, Robert Slumsky, Jesse Blavitao, Alden the Dare, Sydney Dauphin, happy birthday, Josh Kitchens, Christiana Landolt, and was Andrew Percival helping us tonight as well? Was that right or was that just random? He was um, just on the ride, but the one person that we need to start thanking is Dreedy, who's come on okay. board with this. Dreedy. We love that. And um, I just want to say, uh, tune in next week. You know, we're going to do slightly um, shorter uh, preambles of our guests coming up because we want you as the viewers to go to our website. We want you to check it out. We got information up there and we want you to start enjoying and interacting with our punch, kick, choke chat for next week. We have Kyoshi Tony La Selva. He's a national karate um, schools, Northern karate schools, and he's uh, considered the voice of the NKS. He's a martial arts family, but go look him up because we always love when anybody from NKS is part of our show. Uh, you know, they're, they're part of the, just the crew, the team, the OGs, and uh, we look forward to tuning in with us. And um, normally when we have our guests, we're going to throw the last word to them right now. But what I want to do, Sensei Suino, you know, we just heard that beautiful stuff from Hanchi Legacy. Um, so I just want to throw it to you for one last word. What do you got for us before we say goodnight? If you train in any martial art for less than 30 years, you are a quitter. That is not my words. That is Hanchi Legacy's words. And listen, if you set foot in a dojo and just keep going, it will change your life for the better. I guarantee it. It's changed all of us, and I will never stop being a martial artist until the day I die. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much.